This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the DLU Podcast. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis, and this week we have a fun and exciting show in store for all of you, but the last week has been a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, I spent a couple of days in LA, actually, and I cannot wait to share the news about why I was out there, and you all are going to be like, you're going to say, what? Are you serious? Uh, you guys, I'm telling you, I can't wait to share that. But as I was alluding to last week at the close of the show, that there were going to be some changes happening with the show, and in all good ways... I cannot wait to share that news with you. And I mean, I I got some confirmation today about some stuff that's happening. So just stay tuned for it. I'm telling you, you're going to really enjoy where this show is headed, where it's going. But this week, I have former WWE superstar Ricardo Rodriguez. You may remember him as Alberto Del Rio's personal ring announcer. And it touches near and dear to me because I'm a ring announcer in pro wrestling myself. So he and I had a chance to meet at a seminar back in December. And we hit it off right away, and um, he's doing his thing. He has his own wrestling school now out in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and he's doing some incredible things, shaping, you know, young careers in the the professional wrestling space, and he has his own promotion there as well that's connected to the school. So we talk about everything, you know, regarding the wrestling school, his journey when he started wrestling in Los Angeles, how he got signed to the WWE, and the journey it took to obviously him in his first WrestleMania in Atlanta, Georgia back in 2011. So we talk about so much stuff. And I'm not going to keep you all waiting. My interview with Ricardo Rodriguez starts right now. Gentlemen, it is an honor and a privilege to have this individual on uh, this episode of the DLU podcast. Um, a, a gentleman that has been at the very height of the w- of his run in, in the uh, WWE. And we're going to talk about all aspects of his career. The one and only Ricardo Rodriguez. Thank you for coming out to the show. How are you, man? I am doing great on this fine evening at the moment. Uh, uh, I am excited to be here with you. I appreciate it, man. I know on a while back we met at we met at a seminar on Tom's River, and uh, we had a chance to talk and get to know each other. And um, you, without hesitation, agreed to come onto the show. So, like I said, it's an honor for me to have you, you know, on the show, and we could definitely talk about all aspects of your career. And just within my research, I did see where you did grow up in Southern California and Los Angeles. So, tell us a little bit about life growing up in Southern California. Man, I mean, listen, I live now in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, so it's it's a definitely, it's it's a night and day type of situation. Uh, it's a whole lot more quiet here. It's a lot more slowed pace. Um, there's no ocean nearby, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice, it's a nice place to live, to be honest, especially now that I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of nice to wind down a little bit and relax, and it's kind of nice. However... I grew up around around music and noise and and nonstop life and um and and just so many different cultures and being around the ocean and mm-hmm. uh, and that to me is always going to be home. Los Angeles is always going to be home. 
uh, I went back to LA like two weeks ago and it was, it was so refreshing to, to be back home. It was so refreshing to eat carne asada and tacos and, uh, and authentic <laughs> Mexican food. Mm -hmm. Um, it was nice to see my family. It was nice to, to, to hear noise like at midnight. Uh, right, right. That's not the case here in Lancaster, everything shuts down pretty early. Um, but it's like I said, that's California's always gonna be home. Um, great, great weather. Like I said, I, I grew up around the beach, so it was nice to be near Santa Monica, near the pier, near uh, hearing the waves and, and then just listening to, to the waves crashing onto rocks. Um, it was nice, it was so nice to be back home. Wow, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, granted, you're in Lancaster, PA, but I mean, you're about an hour and a half, two hour drive from the Jersey Shore. So, hey, man, <laughs> it's not too, it's not too far, but I definitely, right. I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. Now, when was the first time that you were exposed to pro wrestling and how did pro wrestling got into your life and who were some of your favorites growing up? Well, I mean, when I was uh, a kid and I lived in Mexico for sure a while, um, I mean, I, I knew of Lucha Libre, uh, which is right. a Mexican style of wrestling, mm -hmm. and I was so enamored by it immediately because of the whole, the the, the mask and the capes and the acrobatics and the, the whole um, Broadway spectacle of it, of it all. Mm -hmm. uh, it was so amazing, and it just captured me as a young kid, and when I was younger, I used to, I used to love watching uh, Ultimo Dragon, uh, Octagon. Atlantis, Tinieblas, uh, Máscara Sagrada, uh, Blue Demon. Uh, it was it was amazing. La Parca, Super Muñeco was another one that I used to watch mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and when I came back to the U.S., I kind of grew out of it for a little while. Uh, mm -hmm. I played soccer for about twelve years, and um, and then eventually I kind of kind of fell into it again. I fell into the American style of pro wrestling, which at the time was WWF, briefly. Um, this is when, like, when The Rock was, it was maybe like mm, junior, senior year of, of um, no, about my high school years. So like 2000-ish. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of grew into like the WWE later on. Uh, my very first moments that I that I was really just captivated and 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 speechless was actually WrestleMania 17 and it was the ladder match, the TLC match between the Dudley Boys, Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. Oh and yeah. There was a specific moment. There was a specific moment where Jeff Hardy was hanging from the titles and Edge speared him. And that was the precise one where I was like, holy hell, this is what I want to do. I want to try this. Um and I had a friend at the time who was also very big into like, you know, doing like screw around the backyard, the whole backyard wrestling. Um, and granted, we're supposed to say that like, we don't condone it, but pff, most of us did it. Um, so we did some backyard wrestling. We, it, was, it was fun for what it was. And uh, after a while, we just kind of, you know, grew up a little bit, almost. And, um, and then I found out, I found these guys um, in the same area that I lived in who actually had a professional ring, or at least in my mind, it was a professional ring, wrestling ring uh, in their backyard. So they had a little backyard fed mm -hmm. and, uh, and they were called uh, BBW EWA, uh, Beyond Backyard Wrestling, uh, not the other BBW. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Beyond Backyard Wrestling and uh, Extreme Wrestling Alliance. That was their name. And I contacted them. I started quote unquote training with them uh and then when i arrived to their location they had a ring short but it was like an old beat up boxing ring oh wow no give huh yeah yeah no give it was just it hurt but but i mean basically what i mean i, I learned how to roll i learned how to bump at least in my mind mm -hmm. um we used to run little backyard shows and i i grew up well i'm sorry i was taking classes at itt tech after high school for um, graphic design and animation, so I used to I used to make flyers or or promotional stuff for um, for the you know our backyard fed. Okay. Um, and I thought they were pretty cool because I used to try and mimic movie posters. I thought they were kind of cool. So um, it was a lot better than MS Paint. And um, so we used to go to PWG 
and we used to fly her at PWG. We used to fly her at local oh, wrestling. Okay. Um, and sure enough, a lot some some people realize, hey, you know, these these guys are pretty close to where we live or whatever. And maybe it was the Flyers. I don't know. It was like how awesome they were. At least in my mind, they were. <laughs> um, so they just they they started showing up to our backyard events. But I think most of them kind of turned away when I when as soon as I found out it was a backyard show. Oh wow! Um, but you know, it's like the whole law of probability. Like as, as the the hundred after after a hundred people, one of them is about to say yes. Uh, and it just so happens that one of them did say yes, and he saw one of our events. He liked what we what we're doing he uh he came to one of our quote-unquote practices one day and he approached myself and this other guy uh, one of my teammates and um he basically after we did a little practice match in front of him okay. and after afterwards he's like hey do you want to come wrestle on sunday because uh, he used to run a local lucha libre promotion in the san fernando valley so sure enough both myself and my friend we go um we go to this location and we had to do a ring crew, but it was just us two. And mm-hmm. uh, it was in the it was in the second story of a uh, of a I think it was like a BF no a lion stand. Um, <clears throat> so we had to carry the whole ring basically to, by ourselves. So anyways, so we did that show. We did the show, and then afterwards he goes like, "Hey, you know, if you want, if you want, we can train you. We'll offer you to train you." Um, and sure enough, he 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 took us to his. It was his backyard, and. Um, I had my first trainer, my first official trainer. His name was Latigo Blanco. And Joe Medina, who was a promoter of this event, uh, who was the one that offered me the training, he never once charged me for training. Um, oh, wow. He never once charged me. And um, uh, I thought it was pretty cool because I didn't I didn't know. I didn't know what the, the, the rule was. Um, basically, every now and then, we just he would just kind of be like, hey, can you guys kick in or go buy water or go buy, you know, Kick in like twenty bucks for the for the light electricity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like whatever, right? So I was I was with him for a good while, and then after after I got my the permission from my trainer to go out and explore, I mean, I started going to different places and training different areas. But it wasn't until I got the blessing from my trainer, and uh, and sure enough, I was on the independence. I got to travel throughout uh, you know California, Arizona, Nevada, you know, all over Mexico. Uh, I got to Europe a few times um, before WWE, and then sure enough, I got the call from WWE after four years of being in the business. Uh, I did my tryout uh, on, on August 10th, 2010 at the Staples Center. I did my tryout. Um, they had asked me if I wanted to do this whole thing for a debuting wrestler the following day on SmackDown, which it turned out to be, you know, Alberto Rio. Um and sure enough, I went. I did the whole thing. They thankfully they liked it. They offered me a contract, or they didn't offer me a contract per se, but they offered me like a deal uh, on the spot after after SmackDown. Um, and uh, yeah, it was supposed to be a one time thing originally, according to what the office had told me a few times. Right. But Vince, Vince liked it a lot, and he decided to keep me around for multiple years. That's incredible, man. And I was going to back it up just a little bit in regards to the training aspect of it, because I know you said that, you know, you obviously you were going through the back, you were doing background stuff. And a lot of guys started in the backyards. The Hardy Boys did. Yeah. Um, CM yeah. Punk did. Those guys in Chicago. The young, they got, all, the young, but yeah, all those guys, you know, started in backyard. And I just wanted to ask you from your perspective and from your from your viewpoint, how was the training aspect for you? Was it culture shock in regards to taking that first bump or running the ropes for the very first time? Take me through that. So bear in mind, even yeah, we so we did backyard, right? I did backyard like in my house and at my friend's house, and then we just we screwed around or whatever. Uh, but we and then we didn't know any better, so of course we were making stupid mistakes. So we didn't know how to properly fall or, or roll or hit or nothing. Right. Um, and then when when we when I went into the BBWE EWA backyard fed with the ring, uh, they showed me how to bump. They showed me how to roll. Um, how to run the ropes and like i said i thought we were you know i was like oh this is easy this is cake and then it wasn't until i actually went and got proper training that i realized that i didn't know what i was doing um so then my my trainer who was straight lucha libre straight mexican lucha libre mm-hmm. he taught me how to do the proper roll he taught me the the, the flat backs of face bumps of flip bumps and 
uh, how to run up the ropes, how to run the ropes, how to dive through the ropes, how to dive over the ropes, um, and how to wrestle. And uh, yeah, and, and at first it, it was it was frustrating because in my head I thought I knew it, I thought I had it, mm-hmm. and then my coach was like, "Nah, <laughs> you don't you don't know Dudley Squat." Um, so I think, uh, and it's just it's just a constant battle, constantly with your ego, uh, which is always going to be the, the number one battle that you're always going to have is the ego. For sure. Um, because when I when I first started, I was like, "No, I got this, I got this," and then my coach was like, "No, no, you don't." And then later <laughs> on, I, I realized like, no, no I, I didn't know anything. Um, and then even now, even now, like, there's still times where like, as we as we grow up, uh, not just in wrestling but in life. Life. Like I, I think I have a hold of something because I think I understand it, and then the more I experience something, the more I realize that I didn't know anything, mm-hmm. um, or that I, I didn't know it, I didn't grasp it. Um, and then basically, it turned into this whole concept of like, listen, man, all I know is that I don't know anything, and then once I know that, I realize that I don't know anything at all. Um, I had this. There's this. That was gonna say. There's a thing that I that I live by, and it says I'm smart because I know I'm not, and I listen to those that are, yeah. and that's that's the key in life as far as just keeps keeping your mind and your ears open you know to people for, especially for people that have been there and they truly mm-hmm. understand it even now whether it's acting music or even with pro wrestling there i'm i want to be around those that are smarter than me so i can continue to learn and grasp you know what i mean because you never yeah. ever want to stay stagnant in anything that you do now yeah yeah, because eventually, if you if you stay in one position the whole time, you just become very content to where you are, and th- there's no advancement. Right, right, exactly. Now, I know you were you had there was a character you were going under under the mask called Chimaera. Chimera, yes. Chimera. So I'm sorry about that. How did you come up with the name, the concept of the character, and how were you? And basically, how were you making a name for yourself on the indie circuit with that? So I'm a big fan of Greek mythology. So a Chimera is a Greek monster. Mm-hmm. Also, at the time, I had just seen a, a, a metal band called Chimera. Um, so I kind of liked the band. I, I was a big fan of Greek mythology. Um, and uh, I had other Greek mythology names I had in mind at first. But then I kind of liked the whole concept of Chimera because it was a Greek, it's a Greek monster. It's a three-animal beast. Um, and each one represents something different. It's you know, it's like the head of a of a, a serpent, a goat, and a lion, and oh, the body wow. of a lion. Okay. Uh, so it's supposed to be like representing like you know stealth and balance and 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 uh, aggression and power. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I can incorporate a whole lot of that kind of stuff into you know my quote unquote style, mm-hmm. which is like you no, know, the mutual leader, the high flying, you know, the balance, which is uh, the technical, and then like the, the aggressive power. Which would have been like because I was always bigger. After I'm six feet tall, um, so for lucha standards, uh, I'm tall. Um, I was like, well, the power. So, uh, so that's kind of what I what I kind of figured. I was like, I, I can do lucha. I can do like the high flying stuff. I can do the technical stuff. At least, in, mm-hmm. like I said, in my head back then. Um, and I want to do the the power stuff because I'm I'm bigger than most everybody. Right. <laughs> um, and. Um, and and the whole concept of the actual gear was because I was a big fan of the Power Rangers. Um, yeah. I was a big fan of the Power Rangers, and I was a big fan of this group when I was younger. They were called Los Viper. And one of my favorite wrestlers, too, once I started watching Lucha Libre as an adult, was uh, Abismo Negro, who mm-hmm. passed away many, many years ago. So they had these bodysuits, the masks, the, shim- the, the kick pads, uh, the gauntlets uh, for your hands. Uh, so I, I like the whole getup. So I, I decided to pick something of that sort, but somehow mix in a little Power Ranger feel because um, I like the outfits of the Power Rangers and the helmets and all that stuff. So, so that was kind of how like the outfits came came about. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's a whole hybrid. It's a whole mix uh, of of styles that I kind of liked that kind of meshed into one. Wow. Okay. Good. Cause I was, I was looking at some, um, some footage and you had wrestled in a tournament and I was just, yeah, I believe it was for, Oh God, I'm trying to think of the promo. Cause I get, I was doing so much research and I was just looking at some uh, videos and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. And, I was on the East coast. I was in the East coast. I worked at Chikara. I worked at Young Chikara. Lions Club back in yes. 2007, I think, 2007, I believe. Right. Oh, man. So 
you got signed, as you alluded to um, earlier, um, you got signed to WWE in 2010, and you went to FCW. That was the de- that was developmental at the time in Tampa, Florida. Obviously, you know the great Steve Kern, Dr. Tom Pritchett was there. Yeah. What What was the feeling of getting signed to the biggest sports entertainment company in the world at that time in your career? So it was it was so real. It was very surreal. But for for an odd reason, because WWE was never my goal. Uh, I grew up watching Lucha Libre, so my goal was CMLL, AAA. AAA, Uh, That was my goal. And and I'll be honest, like prior to getting offered the tryout, I had not been watching wrestling. Because also at the time, I mean, I was was working uh, for a production company, so I was doing graphic design. uh, And then we had long hours. and we were on salary, so sometimes when you're on salary, they take advantage of it. <laughs> oh, for sure. I know. <laughs> so, the long hours. Uh, uh, the long hours. Um, so I had not been watching current wrestling. Uh, so when I got offered the trial, I just kind of went into it and was like, well, let's kind of see what happens. And sure enough, when I got offered the contract, it was surreal. But when I got offered it at first, I just kind of took it because they told me that I had to do medical, so it's nothing official yet. Uh, and mostly because I have been re- I've been in wrestling long enough to where I get promised the world, and then nothing happens, right? Right. Uh, so when that whole thing happened, I just kind of was like, all right, yeah, I was excited, I was happy, but I didn't throw all my eggs or what does it say? What's that saying in English? Uh, all the all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, that thing. Exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Um, yeah well I was going to say it was an obviously during the time that you were there the array of talent that was there you talk about Seth Rollins, Big E mm-hmm. Roman Reigns um, the list goes on and on of some of the people that are there now in WWE currently so yeah. what was the vibe like being around it's obviously Alberto Del Rio who was Dos Caras Jr. you know in Mexico What what was the vibe in developmental around that time so Alberto was already on the main roster, but he hadn't debuted yet. Um, Roman was brand new. Seth had just been hired maybe like a year prior. Big mm-hmm. uh, was there. You know, Bray Wyatt was there. Um, Naomi, uh, AJ Lee, uh, they were all there. You know, Damian Sandow, Titus O'Neil. Um, it's impressive, really, when, when you think of like who came out of there. Yeah. Uh, but here was the kicker about my deal, though. Because they put me on TV right off the bat, so I didn't. I, even though I was assigned to developmental, I never went because I was already working house shows. Oh wow! So the, moment, the moment they signed me, yeah, I had to move to Florida. I had to move to Tampa. Uh, the moment they signed me, I was put on house shows right away. Um, so I was only an FCW technically for two days uh, a week, and that was Wednesday. And I was only when because Wednesday was promo day with Dusty Rhodes. And Thursday uh, was when they usually typically had the the FCW tapings. Um, So I was there two days a week, but I never really trained with them. Uh, So I got, I went backwards with my deal because when I got signed, I got put on the road immediately versus you get signed, you get sent down to FCW or NXT, and then you work your way up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went the other way. I went backwards. So I went uh, tryout, signed on TV, on house shows, and then two days uh, down in Tampa. So I, I know, I know, because I have people told me afterwards that um, that didn't sit too well with folks, because at the time I had dual contracts. I had my developmental and I had my on-the-road contract. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was nice. It was super nice until Uncle Sam came around. Oh, well, um, you know. <laughs> 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 as a single, as a single bachelor, yeah, uh, uh, Uncle Sam took advantage of that. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I was never really there. Uh, I the only time I was really quote unquote in class was whenever we arrived to Tampa early on a Wednesday, and we had to go to promo cuts with Dusty, which I mean in itself was awesome. Um, but after a week of traveling, you don't want to be around people. <laughs> Yeah, you want to just kind of just decompress and, and just relax a little bit. And, yeah. and you alluded to it, and that was going to be my next question, actually. You know, working with the, the late, great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, who I grew up watching as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was watching him in Crockett. 
obviously when he did the polka dot deal in WWE and of course when he went back to WCW. So Dusty was actually one of my favorite pro wrestlers of all time. So what was it like going to promo class with Dusty sitting under his learning tree and really taking everything in, you know, that, that he was talking about in his promo class, what was it like working with Dusty Rhodes? Uh, So it was, it was awesome, man, to be honest, it was awesome. I mean, like, like I said, I didn't get to work with Dusty directly too much. I, I had moments with with him, um, but I mean, just listening to him talk to other people and then listening to how he would correct them and then how he would guide them uh, in itself was was amazing. Just to kind of understand, because I mean, I, I saw how he did it, but I didn't understand why. To me, the hardest question to always answer is why. Why did he tell him to do this instead of that? And then the more I started studying Dusty as he was talking to people the more I started understanding his reasons of why he's telling him to do a certain way. And it started resonating with me. And um, so I started taking a lot of similar approaches, at least, again, all within my head. I thought I was, that. at least that's what I thought. Um, so one of the promos that I actually did was, there was one day where I came in, we landed. Uh, I had nothing in my head. I didn't have anything prepared. And then the night before, I had been watching one of my favorite movies, which is The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. So, um, so I arrive, I go, and then he calls me up. So I go and I pull up. I think at the time was Shaw, Shaw Guerrero. I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was Shaw or 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 Conor O'Brien. Um, yeah, Conor, big 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 Con. One of those two. The, you know, the, the guy from the Ascension, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. that's the story. That's the story within itself. So then I go up to him and say, hey, man, listen, I got this idea. Um, just just kind of just stand there. You don't have to do anything. Just stand there. So basically what I was doing was I was going, be, I was talking, but I was talking behind his ear on one shoulder and then walking to the other side and telling him something on the other side. So I was playing, you know, like the good, the good and good evil. and evil. Right. Yeah. And I started doing it with a couple of different people. So I did it with him. I did it with Shaw. I did it with uh, Orlando Cologne. And then I did it with uh, Kenneth Cameron, who now goes by, um, well, he went by Bram in TNA. Oh, yeah, um, I know you're talking about. Yeah, so so Dusty loved it. Dusty loved it. And he told me to keep doing stuff with it. So then, uh, so then I came up with this concept of I wanted to do something like spiritual, like um, like the seven chakras. So each person was going to represent a seven, uh, one of the chakras. And then Dusty's like, well, that's too many people. I was like, all right, I get that. Um, <laughs> so uh, so then I started, I, I shortened it down to five because in my head, I was like, all right, so I'll be the speaker. I'll be like the, because I want to do like a, some liminal triangle, like the all-seeing eye stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be the triangle. I'll have the girl will be Shaw. She'll be the girl. So she'll win the, the women's division. Uh, I'll have uh, uh, Epico. Uh, Epico will be my cruiserweight, and he can also go uh, tag with with Bram, with Ken Cameron, uh, and then who will be my Intercontinental, but they can also tag, and I'll have Big Con, Connor as my heavyweight. Um, and then that's how we formed the Ascension. So then uh, that's how the Ascension came about. And sure enough, so I was on TV still. So, you know, Con, Connor, he was, we were constantly texting for promo class. And he would tell me, hey, man, like, what, what are we doing for this week? I was like, oh, I don't know. Just, so I would give him like a little idea. I was like, just do a promo about this. Um, and then sure enough, one week I get to, I get to, to Tampa. I get to FCW, I check in and Dusty pulls me into the office. And then he's like, uh, and I can't do his, uh, his voice, but I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. He goes, he goes uh, Ricardo, baby, uh, let me talk to you for a second. <laughs> so he pulls me into the office and then... No, there was no like warm up. There was no warm up. There was no like leading into it. Right, 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 right. Ricardo Bebe, you're out of the attention. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, just like that? Just like that. He yeah, he didn't he didn't like warm me up. He just tore out the band-aid. Uh, I was like, oh what? And then he basically just goes, he's like, Well, you, what you're doing on TV is contradicting what you're doing here. Uh and I was like, I ah, yeah, I guess. And then, uh, sure enough, I was out of the Ascension. Um, and then, then like, a, a week or two later, uh, what's it called? Um, yeah, I saw a promo that they did, and they turned them into vampires. This is when, like, the whole uh, Twilight thing was happening. Right, 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 right. And they turned them into vampires. And I remember at the time, I was so mad. 
I was so livid because I didn't want them to be vampires. Um, but uh, but it turned out, you know, it turned out to work very well for for most of them. Wow, um, that's incredible. I mean, to, to as far as the the uh, the initial idea that you had, and then all of a sudden it turned into something else. But yeah, but also with you now, you're you know you're being fast forward a little bit. You go into the main. You're on the main roster now as Alberto Del Rio's personal ring announcer. Now, were you surprised that they will be bringing you in in a non-wrestling capacity, almost like an, a, a, almost as soon as a manager role almost, rather than not being in the ring? Or were you just saying, hey, here's my opportunity and I'm going to take full advantage of these minutes that they're allowing me? So I go back to the whole concept of me versus my ego. So I had been wrestling for four years uh, all over the place, right? All over the U.S., Mexico, Europe. Right. And that's what I knew. I knew how to wrestle. So I saw myself as a wrestler. And then when they offered me this gig, uh, it was bittersweet. Um, because, yeah, I, I got to be on TV. I got to be a WWE superstar. I got to be – I got to travel the world, you know? Um, but in my head, I was like, man, this sucks, man. I want to wrestle. I want to do something. I want to – ah. It was driving me nuts. And uh, so I would get in, I would get into the, into the ring uh, before Raw and SmackDown and just roll around um, because of my traveling. I had, I knew a lot of the extras that were there. So I would grab one of them um, and I was like, Hey dude, let's just roll around before anybody else shows up. And, uh, and cause a lot of people didn't even know that I knew how to wrestle. Uh, really? Yeah. A lot of people didn't even know that. So, you talking uh, about you talking about wrestlers, or are you talking about just people in charge? No, I mean the people in charge, the the the, uh, the boys. They didn't know that, that I wrestled uh, because wow. they never saw my tryout. They never saw my tryout. Oh wow! Um, so especially like the first the first little while, like I would just kind of go check in, change, uh, be by ringside, and then just listen and wait for basically for orders. And after a while, once I got more comfortable and then, you know, started talking to Alberto and then Chavo Guerrero, who was, I was super close with. Um, once uh, once they got a, a, an idea of who I was and what I did, like I started, you know, throwing ideas and getting in the ring and um, and then it just kind of molded it. It just kind of molded into what it later became where they let me do stuff. They let me do uh, a wrestling stuff. They let me wrestle. They let me wrestle down in FCW. Um, then they started involving me in helping, like, train like unofficial training so they would they would have like um like the girls grew very uh you know comfortable being around me because um they wanted to learn something and then either you know sometimes because it happens sometimes the coaches are, are you know they're busy because they have a lot of people or whatever right. uh or they're you know during the production meeting so i started getting in with them and then like they're, like i love naomi and alicia fox and and i got super along with them um so I started getting in there with them, and then eventually Sam was like Titus O'Neil and a bunch of dudes uh, started rolling around with them, the Usos, mm -hmm. uh, just rolling around. Uh, and then little by little, it started transforming into like, hey, this guy kind of knows something. And it just developed into, an and all of this was unofficial too, it was an unofficial quote-unquote trainer. Like they would send me down to FCW every now and then or, or at the NXT mm -hmm. um, to help out sometimes. Uh, and then whenever we did tryouts, like in Mexico, like I was the one that they would choose to work, run the tryouts uh, with the coaches. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I got to do that a few times. Drunk. but yeah, I got to <laughs> This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. Now, 
before we move on forward to the next question, um, one thing I wanted to ask is, was it? Did you know about Dos Caras Jr. in Mexico? You know, as far as him being a luchador in Mexico while you were growing up, or had you not heard of him? No, of course, of course. I, I knew, I knew who, who I knew the name. I knew the family. I knew Mil Mascara, Psicodélico, uh, Dos Caras Senior. I, I knew the family. I've heard of them. Uh, I, I knew the mask very well. I didn't put two and two together though when they paired me up with them. I didn't know that was him until I asked uh, a friend of mine who's a super big fan. And I was like, hey, man, I'm doing this thing with this guy. Who is he? And he's like, that's those guys Jr. I was like, no shit. So I don't know if we're all together. Sorry. No, Sorry. Cool. <laughs> uh, I was like, no way, man. Uh, so I freaked out at first. And that was kind of cool because I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. And then, like, I mean, and then eventually we developed a very strong relationship that we still to this day. Like, I just spoke to him last night. Uh, still to this day, like, we're still close friends uh, through a thick and thin. Uh, and there's been a lot of both. Um, so yeah, he's still one of my closest friends. So like, um, it's, it's been a 12 year journey between us. Wow. Now we talk about the Alberto Del Rio, Ricardo Rodriguez, the act, the package, the, you know, and how it evolved. Talk about, even though you guys were heels at the time, how much that act got over because mm -hmm. I mean, heck, everyone clamored to everything you said. You know what I mean? They may have not known what you were saying in, in Spanish, but oh boy, oh boy, when they said, Alberto! <laughs> and, and, and I have been in arenas. I was at Survivor Series um, 2011 when um, Alberto wrestled CM Punk for the title. Um, I was at, you know what I mean? I had been in so many different events where you, it, it, even as, as a heel, they were singing along everything that you were saying. So talk about the evolution of that package coming together and the, and the fans really enjoying it, just the entertainment value of it. So the chemistry that we had together, I think was very special. And, and to this, and, I, and like I've said this before, I will never put myself in the same category as like Paul Heyman, because he's done a whole other God tier. That's that's uh, next that's next level, and that's no and yeah, that's yeah. no disrespect at all. That's just yeah, next no, level. No, no, no. And I'm with you, I'm with you. Like I would never like I dare not fly so close to the sun, you know. Um, but uh, but I think the dynamic that Alberta and I still to this day hasn't been fully uh, reached, and I think a lot of it had to do with the honesty that we were together all the time. We got to learn about each other so much, and we got to understand each other's vibes and energy, and then um, because we were literally together all the freaking time. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially when we did like the the morning media blitz, uh, we would have to fly together. We would do the house shows together. We would room together, uh, the tours, all that stuff. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. And uh, yeah, we just we we vibed very, we meshed very well. And then the whole thing with with how the crowd took us in, it was great because there was sympathy towards me, but I could still get away with being a, a jerk. Um, and then he was like this manipulative boss figure that just would like punk out his employee. Uh, so there's, that's how I got my sympathy, but I was so right. goofy. I was so goofy enough. Uh, and then the whole Alberto thing, the, 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 the announcing thing, it kind of came about because when I first did my tryout, I did it very formal. Right. And basically said I need to be more animated. He wanted it louder. Mm -hmm. So and I started thinking of like the the Latino AAA CMLL announcers how they're so loud and 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 energetic, and then um, so I kind of went down that route, and it took a bit. It took a bit to get my groove, you know. Right. Um, and then uh, I remember I was something just in my head one day. I re I re realized I remembered when I was younger and I was playing and watching soccer. Um, there was this guy named Andres Cantor. Mm -hmm. who was very famous and people that it doesn't matter that, that you don't speak Spanish everybody knows who he is because anytime anybody scored a goal he was very famous for goal right so that's where Andres Cantor comes in so uh and I've tweeted him a few times that he's never replied so I'm still waiting for that one day <laughs> uh, he was inspiration for the Alberto yeah <laughs> Um, and it was cool because after a while, after a while, actually WWE, uh, the the Twitter team, 
used to clock how long I would do it. So, <laughs> I remember uh, that. I do. I remember that. Yeah, they started clocking, and I thought it was awesome. And then uh, I think for WrestleMania, I think I, I think it was WrestleMania when we were Bay Faces in Jersey. That was like my long one. That was like 30-some, almost 40 seconds that I held it. Um, but it was cool, man. It was cool because, like, the crowd ate it. And then we all had to find something that will resonate with the audience. And I think that, for me, was it. Yeah, that was that was special, man. A fr- you know, a few friends of mine. We used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings to to watch pay per view. This is before the um the advent of the network, and there was this one guy that used to be there all the time. And he would just uh, just randomly, Alberto, just randomly, <laughs> and it was just so funny because it was just like. Yeah, this thing's getting over very, very well. The yeah. fact that people just randomly saying it out loud, I thought it was cool. Speaking of WrestleMania, though, WrestleMania 27, Georgia Dome, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Georgia. You're the opening match. You're in the with the opening match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Alberto's challenging Edge, which then at the time ultimately was Edge's last match. You're in front of right. 71,000 people. Yeah. Take me through that moment of you walking up that tunnel and seeing a, a sea of people watching you at WrestleMania, the greatest stage that there ever was and is and ever will be in sports entertainment. That was definitely probably my one of my top five moments in professional wrestling in my, my, my career, my life, really. It was my first WrestleMania, walking out there. And then even when we walked out there before the actual show started, Mm-hmm. And we sat there, and then I looked around. I was like, "Man, this is awesome. This is cool. You 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 see so many seats and so many levels to the stadium." And I was like, "This is kind of cool." And then you go out there, and you see how many people are there. And then I'm focused on the camera because I don't want to look at anybody because then I'll get nervous. So I'm focused directly on the hard, hard cam. But then I look up, and I was like, "Man, there's a lot of people." And then I look up again. There's oh man, there's a lot of people. And then I look up again. There's a lot of people. And then I looked around. I was like, "Holy crap!" this is this is this is awesome to open up wrestlemania was awesome to go after because the rock did a promo before before us yeah so so to do a promo and then follow the rock was awesome um and then to be there with with some of my closest friends you know justin roberts who introduced me and that was awesome uh and i love that dude yeah he's Um, an awesome guy he's a really awesome guy yeah alberto you know my best friend and then to be there also uh, you know, Boris Clay was with us too, and he was always great. Um, but to be with two people who were part of the reason why I started, I wanted to be in wrestling, mm-hmm. um, of Edge and Christian. Yeah. Because uh, like I said, they, they were in that TLC match that I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so that so when we finished, we get to the back and we're saying our thank yous or whatever, and I go in and I start bawling. Oh, I yeah. Bawl. And then I go and I uh, I hug I hug Edge and I hug Christian and they're like you're right man and I was like dude you you don't know what this means man uh, like and I, that's what I told him I was like you guys are part of the reason why I want to be in wrestling and then I just want to say thank you this is this is awesome uh, so I'm bawling you know yeah um, and then they just they just hugged me back and I was that was cool I was super cool side note though and it's not really about me but I had this I had a similar experience. Um, the Monster Factory, we ran a show at the 2300 Arena, a.k.a. the ECW Arena. Mm-hmm. And growing up in the Northeast, I watched ECW faithfully. I, I it used to come on at 2 in the morning, bro, on, MS, on Madison Square Garden Network. Seriously. Yeah. And I remember getting to the building that day and just seeing this. This is now the largest crowd I've ever performed in front of. And I'm just looking at mm-hmm. the seats. I'm just like, oh, boy, it's going to be over a thousand people here. And I could just remember, and again, I'm a ring announcer, and this is my fourth year in the business, but still, you know, this is still a huge moment, you know, in my career and a lot of a lot of our careers. And sure. I remember when the event was over, when I sent the fans, you know, good night and get home safe, whatever. And I just go through Gorilla and I just freaking lost it, bro. And I'm just like all the emotion of like being a four-year-old kid from Newark, New Jersey you know, watching wrestling with my mom and my grandmother and, you know, people in my neighborhood that knew, you know, every everything I wanted to be was a part of wrestling. You know, wrestling was my life. And people that I went to high school with, they still ask me, yo, you still watch wrestling? And I'm like, yeah. And they said, oh, I'm not surprised you were in the business because that's all you ever talked about when we were little, you know? So 
I totally understand what you mean when you when when especially how it's coming full circle, how Edge and Christian were in were in that TLC match. And that mm-hmm. kind of triggered your, hey, man, I want to do this. This is the business I belong in. Which, by the way, that's still the greatest WrestleMania from top to bottom of all time, WrestleMania 17. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, I 100%. Agree. So I, I totally I totally get, you know, what you're saying. But obviously later on that year, you know, Alberto Del Rio does become the WWE champion when he cashed in on CM mm-hmm. Punk at SummerSlam. So... In Los Angeles, too. Of all places. In Los, yeah, I was just going to say, in your I hometown. Did, I, did my trial, I did my trial at the Staples Center, and then he cashed it in. At, yeah, that was cool. Now, now you're in the main event. Picture now. You're in, the, you're, you're in the main event. How did it feel having all of that come full circle now that you're saying, I am a part of this package, and now we're, we're, we're basically, we're, we are on the top of the card now? Yeah. Well, thankfully, thankfully, and, and I'll go back into because uh, after the Royal Rumble when Alberto won it uh, in Boston uh, at the TD Garden, um, they put us on so much stuff. We were on on so many media uh, runs and advertisements, and uh, they put us. They they treated us like main eventers because that's basically what they were doing with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun, man. I was in for a ride. I. I, I uh, I'm sure in hindsight, I made a lot of mistakes, just like with anybody that you give somebody too much too soon, um, which eventually, I mean, led to a lot of my personal demons later on uh, with alcoholism was they gave they gave me too much too soon. And at first it was great. At first it was fun because uh, it was to, to me still work. Um but I, I got, I guess I got used to a constant busy and I really enjoy that being busy. I really enjoyed it. And I still do I enjoy being busy so that when things slowed down, um, it just kind of triggered a lot of like, wait, what's happening. But, uh, but that's a whole nother topic. For sure. Um, but yeah, but, but sure, man, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome being treated as such, um, getting to work with who we got to work with and learning from who we got to learn with. I mean, you know, and then being directly involved with Vince uh, and creative uh, was amazing in itself. And again, learning the whys of wrestling, which to me is still the hardest thing to learn. Because I can, we can teach you how to do a body slam. We can teach you how to do, you know, how to run the ropes. We can teach you how to bump. But the the, the understanding of the whys of pro mm-hmm. wrestling is right. so hard. But being around so many people that as we did. Uh, I soaked up as much as possible, and and then everything was about the approach. That's another thing that I learned. Everything is about the approach. You can ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's just how you approach something. I can't go in demanding something because then chances are they're probably going to tell me go buzz off. Right. So I would go to let's say Arn Arn Anderson was one of our main producers or Dean Malenko, and then I would basically question how why they booked the way they did. But you know, like, hey, you know. I'm, I want to understand just so that I know, like, why did you change what they had into the way you, you put it? And then he would explain it. I was like, Oh, huh, that makes sense. I didn't see it that way, but that totally makes total sense. And then I, I think I started developing a little bit of a relationship with them, especially William Regal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mr. Regal. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Because getting to listen to them and explain something and then seeing it from their eyes made so much sense to me. But now because we were we were in that position of the main event spots, it was okay. To, it was I felt more comfortable asking. Um, you know, working with John Cena for so long. You know, Kane, Ray, Edge, uh, Punk, uh, so many folks. Um, it was definitely definitely amazing. Um, wow. Now you 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 spoke of him a little bit ago, um, Vince McMahon. Um, now no longer with WWE, and we're not going to even bring up any negative or anything. But what if you was to say if it was one thing you learned from Vince personally? What what what's, what are some of the lessons in that you've learned from Vince McMahon? I learned a few things. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones with him was a, approach how to approach Vince. Um, because again, I, I kind of go back into the same thing of I can't just go up and say, "Hey, what the what the f is happening?" I I want this. I, then they're probably gonna tell you to go away. Uh, but learning how to approach a situation um, and taking a pause and then finding a way so that you can make him understand your point of view, 
um, because most of the time we never we never really got what we went in looking for, but there was always a compromise, and I right. was okay with the compromise. I was totally cool with compromise. Um, but it was it was because of the approach. Uh, another thing that I did learn from Vince was you're not gonna be everybody's friend. There's he's still a businessman. This is still a business, and that was um, his business, right? That's his business. So, uh, and I didn't learn this until afterwards, until after I left. Um, there was a, a a portion of that famous CM Punk pipe bomb that stuck with me, especially afterwards, where he go when he's when Punk is saying that we're all just a spoke in a wheel, oh, yeah. and when wheels going to keep off, turning, right? Yep. Yeah, because it's still a business. Um, and I didn't understand it until later that, uh, yeah, we're all expendable. Um, but also we have to treat it as a business. We can't, we, I went into WWE treating it as my, my uh, uh, a fantasy. I went in, you know, like high in the clouds and thinking like I'm invincible because I'm in WWE. This is the top of the world. But I, I, I forgot, I lost touch of the fact that it's still a business. And I wish I would have gone into that initially as, yes, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's great. It's, it's what everybody, for the most part, tends to strive for, but it's still a business. And that's something I learned from Vince and management um, afterwards. Wow. Now, once your WWE run was over, and I know you were doing some indies, appearances, and seminars, and things of that nature, but I know you actually went to Egypt. You went to the um, to the uh, Middle East. So talk about that experience of what that was like for you. So before that, I actually in 2015, I went to India. Uh, I was six months in India, and I opened up a wrestling school in India. It was Great Khali's Academy, but, okay. uh, but I was running it. So I was there for six months. Um, there's some guys that are in WWE now that that were my students from back then. Um, Shanky, the tall dude that used to come out with. Uh, uh, with gender was one of my kids and there's one okay. in, uh, Lakshmi uh, he goes by Guru uh, Guru in, uh, in NXT they were my kids from India and um, so and this is something that I'm forever proud of and something that nobody can ever take away from me because before my time there there was no Indies in India uh, and then after we left after I left uh, there, there was now there's a, an independent scene in India um, WWE had not been WWE had not been to India in 14 years prior to me being there, but because I was so adamant about posting everything that I was doing over there, the, the progression of the kids, uh, what we were doing, the crowd that were that we started pulling little by little, um, and I don't know if it's directly the reason why, but WWE ended up going to India. They went to Delhi after 14 years. Um, coincidence because I was there. I don't know. Was it a reason for it? I don't know, but I like to think so. Um, Impact went to India. Ring um, was our Ring King, right? Well, no. Uh, Impact went on on their own. Impact went on their own. Well, oh, this right is after, after, right? Okay, okay gotcha. Yeah, yeah Ring King was something prior. Uh, I think that was Jeff Jarrett's uh, deal. Okay, but, gotcha. Uh, but both uh, after after that. Um, both Impact and and WWE went to India. When I left, before I left, uh, I wanted to run the tour, and I convinced we convinced Kali to do it. We did three main uh, cricket field stadium shows. The first one drew about it was like twenty two thousand. The second one drew about fifty something thousand, and then the last one only because of weather was about twelve to thirteen thousand because of the, because it was raining. And then these are, and then you know, my students got to be a part of it. They got to wrestle guys from that, that came in, that flew in. We have, you know, Justin Gabriel. We had uh, uh, obviously Gender. We had uh, Renee Michelle, Katie Forbes, um, Chelsea Green, um, uh, PJ Black, uh, Brian Cage, and they got to wrestle our guys. And I'm forever proud of it. And that's something that nobody can ever take away from me. Um, and then fast forward, when I came back to the U.S., I did I did small little stints in Australia and England, you know, in, in Germany and Mexico and throughout the states. Mm -hmm. And then during COVID, when COVID happened, everything shut down, and uh, I I got I got contacted by a promoter, uh, of, of, well, not yet a promoter, but a person from from Cairo, uh, uh, Walid Fatih, 
And then he goes, hey, man, uh, you, know, you know, basically, he didn't say, hey, man. Uh, he goes, um, <laughs> we, saw, we saw what you did in India. We were wanting to see if you want to come to Egypt and then do the same thing. Um, and at the time, this is when COVID was happening, so there was nothing going on. So right, I was like, literally. yeah, sure, of course, absolutely. Yeah, there was like nothing going on. And uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll definitely go. So I ended up going to, to Cairo. I did uh, about like, what, eight, nine months, uh, close to a year. Um, unfortunately, COVID kept popping up. So we would we would, be, we would be on a stride, and then the borders were open, and then there was a lot of um, because Egypt's very tourist. Um, a lot of tourists started coming in, and then the numbers started spiking, so they were shut down again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was yeah, it was just constant um, issues because of COVID, and also because uh, during that time too. Uh, just issues that were going on over there. So it was it was a lot of uh start and stops that 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 happened. So so yeah, so I, I got to I got to spend a whole almost close to a year in Egypt and then it was such a beautiful country and such a beautiful experience, beautiful people and and uh I'll just say that like whatever we see on TV here is nothing like what it is over there. It's beautiful. So beautiful. Wow, wow, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Now, let's talk about what you have going on today, and that's Three Legacies Wrestling Promotion. Tell us about what's going on with the, with your promotion, with your school, and everything that's going on with that. So in a nutshell, uh, I ended up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and um, it turned out that I kind of realized when I spoke to one of my business partner, now business partner and a close friend of mine by the name of Christopher Dreisbach, um, who has business all over the place. When it was from a talk that we had where we were talking about my past and all this other stuff. And we were talking how like I've, I've ran schools for so many people and I've opened academies in different places, but I've never, but I've never had my own. It was, I was always running something for under somebody else's banner. And while I'm beyond grateful for those opportunities because they were great learning experiences, for sure. I wanted something of my own. So we got together, we, we came up with this concept of Three Legacies Wrestling and uh, here we are. We, we've been open now for, uh, it's gonna be four months, um, but officially about three months. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful, man, I'm grateful. We have a great set of students uh that most of them are about two months in but they're picking up stuff super quickly uh and then we we have a nice place here uh we have a, a lot of space we have two rings available we have uh we also run a promotion too with monthly events the next event that we have is january 14th uh here in lancaster pennsylvania we'll have paul london coming in myself and a lot of local talent uh from from this area so i'm super excited and um, we also have something coming up uh, in August, which we will be uh, taking over the Clipper Magazine Stadium, which is the local baseball stadium. Um, so we're trying to build as much as possible between now and then so that we can do this yearly and then basically have uh, the Barnstormer Stadium as our WrestleMania yearly. So that's what, that's what we're building up. That's what we have going on. And I'm, I'm beyond proud of everybody that's here. I'm beyond happy um, from all, you know, for all the students that, that took that step because it's not easy taking that step of, of I want to follow my dreams. We're always going to have a lot of people that are going to tell you that your dreams are stupid, that they're, that it's not worth it. Yep. Uh, but exactly. if, I, if, I, if I were to have listened to a lot of those people when I was younger, a lot of this stuff would not be possible. A lot of these experiences that I had in my life, uh, be it good or bad, uh, and I'll tell you, man, I've had far better experiences than bad. Um, would not have been possible had I quit back then. So I'm, I'm beyond proud of everybody that decided to take that step and that's here and they're chasing their dream. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be part of theirs. Awesome, awesome. And you definitely wow. have my support, you know, for your promotion. Like I said, I'll definitely come out if I if, if it's a day that I have free for non, um, if I don't have any commitments on my end in regards to wrestling, I would love to come out and support everything you have going on with Three Legacies Wrestling for sure. What's your favorite city or venue to perform in? <laughs> so for different reasons, uh, Philadelphia is always up there uh, because y'all are loud. 
Uh, <laughs> y'all are rowdy. Uh, LA is always gonna be home for me. LA is always gonna be home to be with you know the people that I grew up around. You know, la raza and uh, my culture is always nice to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mexico City is always gonna be awesome to me because that's that's motherland to me. Um, yeah, Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, England, anywhere in England was always great. Um, and then we always talk about like the the Monday the Monday night after WrestleMania. So, oh yeah, God. Because most of them are from Europe, uh, and they're loud, and that's how they are over there on on the daily. So it's always awesome. You were so, a part. You were a part of probably the biggest the pop best, in the, the history of Monday Night Raw when the best one, easily when Ziggler cashed in on Alberto. I I, I mean that. Oh my God, I had a bunch of freaking, I was at WrestleMania 29 actually, but mm-hmm. I didn't go to the Raw um, the day after because I actually had an audition that I had to prepare for the next day in New York City. I couldn't go to uh, Raw. So, uh, well, you missed out. I did, but you want but you want to know something? But just to hear the, the, the people, what they, I mean, the whole entire night, it was just like the fans were just having such a ball. But that cash in, that pop was just probably one of the biggest pops in the history of Monday Night Raw, and you were a part of that. You were a part yeah. of history. The, the the goosebumps, and every now and then, like WWE will replay it, mm-hmm. and I still, I still get goosebumps. I still get goosebumps because I can relive it in my in my head. Um, because we knew it was gonna get a reaction, uh, but we did not estimate. We did not guess it was gonna be that big of a reaction. For sure. Um, and then it was awesome because it was a cool little roller coaster of a ride because it wasn't just a clean. A clean cash in, um, because Alberto defended himself quite a bit before the actual, and he got some offense before the actual pin, right? Um, so yeah, it was nice in hindsight listening to back the the roller coaster of like the the of the excitement and like the disappointment and then the excitement and disappointment and then the big excitement when he finally got the pin. So I'm I'm forever grateful and, and thankful for Dolph and and Biggie and AJ and Alberto and Scott Armstrong and and everybody because it was such an amazing moment. For sure. One funny road story you got to share with us. One funny road story. Ah, oh, man. I don't want to get everybody in trouble. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> I have plenty of those, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Not yet. Not until like I'm like 70 or 80 and I write my book. Uh, and then I just don't care. I just want to be like the, oh, the Iron Sheik and just not give a rat's butt. Uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, trying to think of one. All right, I'll, I'll, all right. Here's one. So Alberto and Scott Armstrong used to all constantly like rib each other, constantly. And then I would just kind of get caught in a crossfire, and I would, you know, involve myself in it too. So we're in Mexico. We're we're doing a tour in Mexico, and uh, the last day, like I'm hungover as hell. All a bunch of us are hungover, and we get to security, um, and. Um, I put my stuff before we go through like the, the little scanner thing. I put my stuff in a little uh, uh, basket or the container. Mm-hmm. And so my password, my wallet, whatever. And um, so we pass through. And then as um, I'm putting my stuff back on, uh, I go to reach for my wallet and my wallet's not there. What the fuck? And I'm looking through my stuff. Mind you, I'm hungover. So like, I don't know if I forgot it, if I brought it. Right. I, I'm, set, I'm questioning myself. But we were about to board. And then I was like, well, I have my passport. Like, All right. And uh, so we go through. We, we go through. No, no, I'm lying. I didn't have my passport. I have my wallet, not my passport. Um, so, but it was a charter flight. So it was just us flying. It wasn't, you know, like anybody else. It was just the WWE guys flying. So I was like, all right, well, whatever. I'll just figure it out when I get there, when I get back to the States. Um, but then it started sinking, sinking in my head. I was like, oh, they're not going to let me do customs. So I'm starting to freak out. Um, we get to the plane, and then I guess it was vis- it was very visible because uh, I was probably like sweating like crazy that like I was freaking out. Uh, so then uh, I'm telling Alberto, and Alberto's like in, passed out already because again we had a long night in Mexico, so we we're all just dying. Right. And I'm freaking out, and I'm telling I'm telling the security lady, his name Muriel. I'm telling, I was like, hey, I think I lost my passport. I don't know what to do. She's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Um, so I'm sitting down and I'm freaking out and we start, we take off. I'm like, oh man, I'm losing my stuff. And then Cody Rose comes and he passes me a note 
And then and I open it up and he, he just says, Big Show has it, don't sell it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't sell it. I love it. <laughs> so uh, so I was like, all right. Uh, so thanks, Cody. Um, so we get to, we, we land and then Big Show comes in and uh, this is also kind of a lesson. We land and Big Show pulls me aside and he's like, you have to learn your spot. Uh, you messing with Scott is not your place. Um, I was like, oh, okay, yes, sir. And he gives me back my passport. Uh, I was like, yes, sir. Uh, so it was funny at first until the lesson happened. Wow. <laughs> wow. Big Show has it. Don't sell it. I love it. Before we get out of here, um, where can fans find you, social media, website, in regards to where any way they can find you, your school, and everything else. So uh, mostly, if you go to Facebook and you type in and actually type it all out, three legacies wrestling, that would be the best place to kind of see what I'm doing, where I'm at, because it'll also link you up to to my Instagram or the the Instagram to the school and the Instagram. I'm sorry, to myself, the the Twitter to both myself and Instagram. Ah, shoot, I'm sorry. Just go to Facebook. Type in three legacies wrestling, and then you'll find everything else that you need to know about where I'm at, where, where we're doing the upcoming shows, the, the seminars that we have coming in, um, and all our happenings because there's a lot of stuff that we have we have cooking up, a whole lot of stuff. And I'm I'm a big believer in holding on to, not not telling everybody until it actually happens, or we're close to closing the deals because you never know. Oh yeah, uh, for if sure. I, if, I, if I tell you, hey, we're gonna have X Y Z person and and in March, and then something happens, they can't make it, then I look silly, right? Uh, so it's hard sometimes to hold on to some of these secrets, but it's important. Yeah, and, and very, very indeed. I totally get that. Well, again, Ricardo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us here on the DLU podcast. Now that you've been on, you're a friend of the show. You can come back on anytime you want. If you got to promote something, whatever the case may be, like I said, you're definitely a friend to the show anytime, anywhere, man. Thank you. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the DLU Podcast. Again, I want to thank Ricardo Rodriguez for coming on to the show to talk about everything that's going on with his wrestling career and his wrestling school. And again, I wish him all of the best in all of his endeavors that he's doing with the school and the promotion and connecting with it as well. Speaking of professional wrestling, you can check me out doing my ring announcer thing this Saturday night at the world-famous Monster Factory for MFPW on 11. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to monsterfactory.org to get your tickets, or you can come up on the day of the show. You can get some tickets if there are some available. Bell time is at 7 p.m. Don't forget, again, MFPW on 11 this Saturday night. Get your tickets at Monster Factory. Org. Speaking of which, check out a podcast that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Watchers Podcast. It's spelled W-A-T-C-H-E-R-Z. The fellas break down everything going on in sports and in pop culture. Again, it's five guys just sitting back shooting the breeze. I've known them a long time, and their, their show can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can also watch it on YouTube. So just query the Watchers podcast, and um, tell them uh, Dilu sent you. You'll, you'll definitely won't regret it. You can follow me on social media, okay? Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, at the real Lou. You can also hit me up on Facebook. You can just look me up on Derek T. Lewis official page. Get your DTL swag and merch over at shop.derektlewis.com. Again, you can get the Dilu podcast hoodie and tee that's available right now. Well, I'm going to get out of here and remember, whatever it is that you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.